You're listening to teaching from Castle Hills Christian Church in San Antonio, Texas. More information about Castle Hills Christian Church is available at chccsa.com. Good morning. I'm really excited to be here this morning. Truthfully, after 2020, I'm excited to be anywhere this morning. Of all the places I could have been in March of 2020, I was standing in the streets of Tombstone, Arizona. I was out there on tour with a group called the Sidewalk Prophets, and we were doing shows in Southern California and across the state of Arizona. And one night we had a show at a, at a church there in Phoenix, and I saw on my phone that Tombstone was only about 15, uh, an hour and 15 minutes away. And so I decided to go down there and check out the history about Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday and all of that stuff. And I got all the way down there and I was standing in front of the OK Corral when all of a sudden I get this message on my phone from the tour. And the guys had said, hey man, we're not sure what's going on right now, but Mercy Me just canceled their tour. Um, Major League Baseball just shut down all of their games. We are uh, going to do the show tonight in Phoenix, but then we're all going home. Oh, but don't worry, we'll start doing shows again in April. And we all know how that turned out. Um, for the better part of a year and a half, the Christian music industry was basically shut down. Guys I do ministry with, uh, they were out of work. And so we all turned to driving Uber or DoorDash and uh, construction jobs, whatever we could do to, to help keep our families afloat. So I went back up, we did the show in Phoenix, and I called my wife and I said, I'm just gonna get a flight home in the morning uh, back to Indianapolis. Uh, little did I know, all of the flights were being canceled as well, and so I got up in the morning and I started to freak out a little bit. I, I started trying to find um, uh, you know, uh, rental cars, and eventually after about three or four calls, I was able to finally get a rental car. And I called my wife and I said, honey, I am going to drive all the way from Phoenix, Arizona, back home to Indianapolis. She said, that's great. I need you to stop at every major city along the way at a Target or a grocery store and find us some toilet paper. So in less than 24 hours, I went from this great Christian music tour to now I'm on AngelSoft tour. And I uh, have to say, if we ever have a situation like that again, don't go all the way out to, to Albuquerque or, or Lubbock, um, but Oklahoma City had plenty. I don't even know why. So I got home and uh, we really, it was a rough time. Was a, a lot of you I'm sure can relate. You know, a lot of, a lot of people we knew were out of work. Um, we knew people that lost their businesses. Some of them that had been in that business for a long time. Some of those businesses handed down from their parents or grandparents had been there for decades, but didn't survive the shutdowns. We knew people who were, were sick. Uh, maybe, maybe you know someone who, who had COVID or you yourself had it. Not a good thing, really rough, you know? We, we knew folks who were unable to, to, to go and visit sick relatives or in, even in some cases attend funerals or, or weddings. And so in the midst of all of this, my wife and I started having that talk, like, uh, do we need to sell the house or what are we gonna do here? And in the midst of everything, I started to get phone calls from churches. And most of the time it would be an elder or leader from the church saying the same types of things our minister or our pastor has been going nonstop since the beginning of this thing. Uh, could you come and just preach one Sunday and give him uh, a Sunday off? And so I started doing that uh, long around June and July of 2020. And it didn't take me very long to realize as I started looking at the congregations I was speaking to, 
to realize that, that people were in desperate need of encouragement. And as I began to, to, to pray and, and think through what I, what I would say, it, it became apparent quickly that people, and, and myself included, were in desperate need of some reminders. Reminders that even in the face of a rough time, a rough couple years like we just had, we are still so incredibly fortunate and blessed. And, and I know it's not popular to say this anymore. I, I don't really care that much. We're fortunate that we live here. We're fortunate to be Americans. And I don't say that because we've got great buildings or we've got you know SUVs outside or we've got you know nice houses or bank accounts. That, that stuff doesn't make us blessed. Our resources, I've said it before, they don't make us blessed. They make us responsible. Our blessing is Jesus Christ, what he did on the cross and does for us today and into eternity. And I don't know about you, but I'm glad I was born somewhere where somebody loved me enough to tell me about him. So as I began to think, what, what is my message going to be like? You know, God, what would you have me say to folks? He quickly reminded me of a trip that I took right before the pandemic to Ethiopia. Now, if you're like me and you're a little bit geographically challenged, um, the first thing I thought uh, about Ethiopia, I really only knew uh, very little about it. I didn't know where it was. I, I knew it was in Africa, but turns out it's, it's just above Kenya, uh, right beside Uganda. And the only thing I really knew about Ethiopia was from my childhood. Um, when I was a kid, 13 years old, I remember uh, just every, every Saturday morning I would turn on the radio. That's how we used to listen to music back in the day. We couldn't download stuff or anything like that. We would turn on this little box called a radio and songs would come out and it was pretty cool. And every Saturday morning, I would turn on that radio and I would hear the same thing. And I'm gonna talk about this in a second, but I wanna ask this before I get to that. How many of you remember back in the 1980s when Michael Jackson and Stevie Wonder, Bruce Springsteen, Willie Nelson, Kenny Rogers, all of these, Ray Charles, all of these artists got together and they made a song. You, you remember this? Well, the song was, was called We Are The World. And um, such a cool thing. Um, the, the whole effort was put together uh, because there was a famine in Africa and the majority of it was happening in Ethiopia. And so the idea was we're going to, we're going to make this song and we're going to sell all these copies and we're going to pour all that money into the economy and into the famines there in Ethiopia. And, and that's what they did. It's a true story. Those guys didn't take any money for that recording. Then they, they did Live Aid at the big stadium in, in England, in, in uh, London, Wembley. And the same thing. They, uh, Queen and uh, Run DMC and the Rolling Stones, all these bands played there. And all of the money, the proceeds, went into the famines in Ethiopia. So... When I would get up, I just remember I was probably, gosh, I was probably 15 or 16 years old when that song came out. But I just remember turning on my radio on Saturday morning and hearing this for almost a year. <clears throat> Coming in this week at number one, USA for Africa and we are the world. I'm Casey Kasem. Almost one year that song was number one. And I'll tell you, economically, it worked. I've been to, to Ethiopia, I've been to Africa n numerous times and because of that effort for the past 35 years, their economy has gone from a place of complete and total uh, despair to near respectability. But that's not even the greatest part. When I was in Ethiopia, I heard someone say something strange one day. The man said, I did not know Jesus Christ until we are the world. And when he said that, I was taken back by it. I, I started looking on my phone. I was like, I don't think there was any Christian artists involved in that. And there wasn't. 
But then a couple days later, I heard someone else say that. So I asked one of the pastors, I said, what are they talking about when they're talking about we are the world? The pastor explained to me, in order to distribute that much food and clean water to that many millions of people there on the continent of Africa, it required a lot of volunteers to come from all over the world. People came from Australia, that they, they, they came from the United States and Canada, uh, they came from England. Largely, most of these folks were Christians, they were believers. And as a result, Ethiopia was evangelized like never before. Isn't it amazing how God can take something completely secular in nature and turn it into something for his own glory? I was halfway over the Atlantic Ocean on my way to Ethiopia when a terrifying thought occurred to me. I was in midair and I thought to myself, wait a minute, what are we gonna eat for the next couple weeks? I mean, I've been on a lot of mission trips before, but this was different. This was Ethiopia. They used to not have food there. So I'm kind of freaking out a little bit about this and wondering what's going to happen. And um, please understand, I, I'm the kind of guy, I, I'm in a different church every Sunday here in America, different city, different state. And almost every Sunday, I walk into a church, and I'm, I don't know if you have this at your church, but there's usually this, um, it's typically an elderly lady she'll approach me with a little white box. Have you seen this at your church? Um, the little old lady with a white box will come up to me no matter what city or state I'm in, and every Sunday she asks me the same thing. Would you like a donut, son? And every time they ask me this, I think to myself, look at me. Of course I'd like a donut. I'd like a whole box of donuts if I'm being honest. You know, you can ask a chubby guy if he wants a donut, right? So anyways, um, we get over there and we landed and I, they said, we're going to this ministry center. They're going to tell us what we're going to be doing. And I, I'm just thinking about what's going to happen at lunchtime. So we pull up to this ministry center and I, everybody's getting out and they're starting to pray and get in Jesus mode. I noticed next to the ministry center that there's another building with a big old sign that says such and such pizzeria. So while they start going in to figure out ministry stuff, I'm running over to check out the plate glass window and see what's in there. And it, it looked like our New York style pizza. It looked, it looked fantastic. So I was like, yes, if nothing else, I know I can come back here a couple times. But then I went into the ministry center and that's when things just got kind of weird. The guy that was leading our trip, he was a local pastor from Addis Ababa there in the capital. And he said, he addressed our group. He said, today we are traveling to Project 512. We are going to meet children who have been sponsored by people from all around the globe to receive an education, gain a vocational skill, and to receive the good news of Jesus Christ. First, we will go to the classroom and see the children get their education. Then we will go next door to the chapel and have worship with the children. And after chapel, we will break briefly for lunch next door at a pizza place. I said, wait a minute. So you're telling me there's a pizza place here. There's one where we're going. We had to drive 15 minutes to get to this ministry center, and along the way, I counted another eight, nine pizza places. So I went to the pastor before we even went into the school, and I said, hey, I don't wanna offend anybody, but I didn't really picture pizza in Ethiopia together, like what gives? And he wasn't trying to be funny, but he said to me, oh yes, you must realize Ethiopia is the one African country that has never been ruled from the outside years ago. Mussolini comes to rule us, but we drive him back and we defeat his army. But we keep his food, we like it. So for the next 
two weeks, I kid you not, every single day, I eat stromboli, calzone, spaghetti, lasagna. I gained weight in Ethiopia. I didn't even think that was possible. Also found out that coffee, for you coffee drinkers, coffee was born in Ethiopia, and I had the best coffee almost every single day I was over there. But more than the food or the coffee or the unintended sense of humor of the Ethiopian people, I fell in love with the heart of the people, and I gained a perspective change on that trip like never before. That first day <clears throat> after school, we were led down through the city, down through Addis Ababa, row after row after row of these little corrugated metal boxes, little tiny tin shanties, just went on and on. Any of you that served in the military or have been on mission trips, you know what I'm talking about. Eventually, we came up on a landfill, massive, massive junkyard, probably four football fields big. Garbage was stacked 20 feet high. I, I'd never seen anything like it. I asked the pastor, I said, why are we going in here? And he told me we recently identified uh, a group, a community of people who are living here in the landfill. I said, there are people living here? He said, yes. We got down in the middle of that landfill and sure enough, there they were. These folks were living. They had burrowed out a cavern or like a cave underneath of these garbage piles and there they were living under 20 feet of garbage. One of the families invited me into their little space. They moved a, a bucket over so I could sit down and they handed me, they had a little baby girl, they handed her to me. And the whole time I held her, I leaned over her because there was liquid dripping out of the garbage on us the entire time. I, I remember there were times I couldn't even breathe in there. Eventually, we came out, we prayed with the families. The pastor assured them they were working diligently to find a place with a real roof for these folks to come and stay and, and take care of their kids. While we were at the school that day, we had met a young lady and she had three kids. Um, the first was a seven-year-old boy and they were there at the project and at the school for the very first time. He had been sponsored by somebody here in America. At age seven, he was having his first day of school. The reason we were even down there at that landfill, she had invited us to come see their home. And we had to pass through there on the way. When we finally got there, uh, she had a seven-year-old boy, a four-year-old son, and then she also had a, a baby girl. We um, were led up onto the side of the hill and she took us to a building sitting on a cinder block foundation, had a big hole underneath of it. She handed her little baby girl off to one of our guys and shined a light in that hole and said, this is where we sleep. This is where we keep our things. I got down there and I looked in that hole and the only thing I saw was a couple of blankets, a bowl and a wooden spoon. That was it. She came out and we, we formed a prayer circle and got our kids together and grabbed hands. And I remember asking her, pastor's working to get you guys out of here, but how can I pray for you right now? How can we pray for you today? I wasn't expecting her response. She just lit up, biggest smile. She said, oh my goodness, you would pray for us? Tell God, thank you, because we lack nothing. Now church, I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say, if you had to go in town tonight and find a building with a hole in it and lay down on the ground, you wouldn't say that you lack nothing. You would say that you have nothing. Perspective 
That young lady knew we don't have anything materialistically, but we have each other and we have our God. We lack nothing. Today I'm going to be speaking out of um, chapter 10 of the Gospel of Luke. And uh, Luke chapter 10, we find a story, uh, and it's um, really a story a lot of people uh, probably have already heard, uh, the story of the Good Samaritan. That's where, if you've heard this reference before, this is where you find it in, in the Gospel of Luke in, in chapter 10. And we're going to start with verse 25. Again, this is Luke 10, verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what is written in the law, Jesus replied. How do you read it? The expert in the law replied, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus said. Do this and you will live. But the man wanted to justify himself, and so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem into Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They beat him, stripped him of his clothes, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be walking down the street at that same time, and when he came to where the man was, he saw the man and passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he turned and went the other way. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to the man, and he, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn to take care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Look after this man, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you might have. Now, which one of these men do you suppose was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Church, if, we, if you have ever said the words, yes, I believe, Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, you and you were buried in those waters and you accepted him as your Lord and Savior, you have accepted the role of servant. You've accepted the ministry of serving others. It's what Jesus calls us to. In fact, he talks to Peter about this right after he rose from the dead. He's with the disciples and in the Gospel of John. Such a great story. Jesus and Peter are having this conversation and Jesus tries to impress this ideal on Peter. That they're having this conversation and kind of out of nowhere, Jesus takes things a different direction. And understand, these, these guys have been together three and a half years. They had done ministry together. They had built campfires, sang songs. They ate together. They fished together. They walked on the water together. In fact, Peter saw Jesus do all kinds of stuff he couldn't explain. They have this conversation, and at the end, Jesus says three words that completely changes the rest of Peter's life. And, and, and by the way, don't you ask young kids about this. I asked a bunch of first grade boys a while back. What were three of the last words Jesus said to his good friend Peter? This one little boy goes, Eat your spinach? <laughs> no. Maybe those were the last three words Jesus said to Popeye. But here in this story, Jesus and Peter are talking. All of a sudden, Peter is, is talking. Jesus says, Hey, Peter, do you love me? <laughs> Peter's like, Uh, yeah. <laughs> Do I love you? What are you talking about? Of course I love you. Yeah, but Peter, do you love me? 
Lord, you just asked me that question like 10 seconds ago. You know I love you. I love you very much. But then the word of God tells us that Jesus asks Peter a third time. Peter, do you truly love me more than these? Now, Peter had been with Jesus. He knew his style. He knew he was getting at something. He may have even been a little hurt by this line of reasoning. Like, where are we going with this? Why are you picking on me? Lord, you know all things. Surely you must know that I love you. You've asked me three times. I've told you three times now that I love you. I like to imagine Jesus looking at Peter and saying, Peter, you know what? Man, if I ask you a hundred times, you'll say it a hundred times. Peter, saying it and living it's two different things. And then the word of God tells us that Jesus said to Peter, Peter, if you really love me, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep, Peter. You say that you love me. You're here, you're singing the songs, you're praying with us. I love that. I really, really do. But man, if you love me, feed my sheep. Some of you might remember my story. I was born in August of 1968. That's right, I'm 79 years old. And the moment I was born, I was placed immediately into an orphanage. My birth mother couldn't take care of me. I found out in recent years that she didn't want to, and there was even some talk of maybe ending my life before it started. But fortunately, she was too far along. Family didn't really get involved, so when I was born, I immediately became an unwanted, uncared-for orphan. But while all that was taking place, across town, there was a 17-year-old girl, a teenager, writing her husband-to-be a letter. See, she had just graduated high school. They just got engaged. And a couple weeks later, that young man got drafted into the U.S. Army and went off to serve in Vietnam. She wrote him a letter and she said, I've been praying for you every day, praying that this war would end, praying that you're safe wherever you're at, praying that all of you guys would just come home. But when I pray, God's been laying on my heart this calling, this desire to be a mom. I believe that's why he put me on this earth. I'm supposed to be a mommy. And when I pray, I don't really think God wants me to wait. You get back, we get married, have kids. I think God wants me to be a mom right now. Well, that soldier got that letter. He was excited, you know. It's like... Say what? I wish I could have seen his face. But then he prayed about it and he wrote her a letter back. He said, you go find a child who has nothing, who has no one. We will take him in and we will raise him together as our own. So she started looking during the process and it was a process. He got back, they got married and a short time after that, he walked into the room where I was being kept. Walked right up to my crib. They picked me. Actually, my mom heard me tell this story years ago, and she came up to me afterwards and said, you know, we went in there to find a little girl. I said, Mom, you missed it by a long shot. 
She said, well, I heard your voice. We walked in that room and all the kids were quiet. Not you. You were over there laughing and carrying on. All I could think when I saw you was, I don't know the first thing about that child. He's not my blood. I don't even know what his name is. But I know that little boy needs a mommy. So she picked me up out of that crib and along with her 21-year-old husband, they took me home and for the next 18 years, no, for the next 40 years, anytime I needed anything, I always had it. Roof over my head, clothes on my back, shoes on my feet. I got to play baseball and go to school. I was taken to church even when I didn't want to go. I was that age. But that was the first time I ever heard anything about God or Jesus or any, anything like that. It was when my mom would take me to church on Sunday. There is not one single day that goes by in my life where I don't thank God for her and what she decided to do for me. You know what James 1.27 says? Don't worry, no one else does either. James 1.27 is a verse we don't talk about much in church and I don't know why. James 1.27, straight out of the NIV, says this. Religion that God accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and don't be polluted by the world. That's what the word of God says. Acceptable religion in the eyes of God, it's looking after those in need. I love that verse. I told you about the first day there in Ethiopia. I want to share a short story about the end. The very last day we were there, they took us to an orphanage. They didn't know anything about my story. It just kind of happened. And we got out there and all of the orphans were outside playing football. Well, soccer. They, they call uh, soccer football over there. They were playing soccer. And the kids are running back and forth, about 50 or 60 of them. And all of a sudden, I notice this one boy in the middle of the field, and he is just looking over right at me. Everybody else had moved down. I was like, I, I'm the only one over here. He starts running towards me. I thought he was going to try to tackle me or something. So I start backing up. He runs up to me, and he goes, go, Eagles. So apparently, he plays for the Eagles. So naturally, I said, go right back to him and he, you know, he loved it he lit up he ran out on the field so from that point on I was his guy he would run over if something good happened give me five and there was a timeout he came over he asked me my name I said I'm Mr. Tony and he told me his name and it, it sounded like it had about 21 syllables in it but one of the syllables sounded like John so I said John and he smiled and shook his head and so as the game kept going he finally towards the end of the game ran over and said the weirdest thing to me he came running by and he said Mr. Tony after football, I want you to come meet my mama. I said, all right, John, after football, we're going to go meet mama. This, this is an orphanage. What, what is he talking about? When the game ended, his coach brought him over and said, John doesn't live here yet. He and his mother live down there. We went about 50 yards down a dirt path and came up on a little, a little hut. And when I say a hut, I'm talking greenery and bamboo. It's all it was. I went inside and I got to meet mama. And I wasn't there five or 10 minutes before I understood what was happening. She had told me that when John was a baby, his father went off to work one day and there was an accident and that he had never come back. She said, I've done the best I can for my son, but 
Doctors recently told me that I'm stage four of cancer and they don't give me much time. But, she said, about a year ago, the pastor, the child fund, this church, this orphanage, they approached us and said, in America, there are two newly married teenagers who wanna help your son. They wanna sponsor him. From that day forward, my son has gone to this school right down the street. It's the best one in the city. He, he, he goes to church. He goes to school every day at this school right down the street. They teach him to play football. He stays after school twice a week and they teach him to work on cars. When I'm gone and he becomes a man, he's gonna have a good job. He brings us food and clean water every day because of that sponsorship. We've never had this. The orphanage assured us that when the time comes and I'm not here, he will always have a place to live at that orphanage. Six months ago, my son received a letter from his sponsors. They told my son about their relationship with Jesus Christ. They told my boy that they loved him. My son read that letter over and over and over that night. The next morning, he ran down the street to show it to pastor. All the scriptures that they had included in the letter, he went through them with my son. And an hour later, pastor baptized my son in that river right over there. He brought him home to dry him off and tell me the good news. And well, about an hour after that, I myself was in the exact same river doing the exact same thing. I could never repay this. And then she said, now I know because of our great God and two of his faithful servants in America, no matter when I leave this place, my boy will never be an orphan. Church today, I wanna to say something a bit controversial and then I will clarify. We are not saved by the things that we do. Well, Tony, we're called to serve and the Great Commission commands us to go, I, I know, I know. But without the grace of God and blood of Jesus Christ, we would be lost. We'd be lost. But Jesus did say in Matthew 25 that when we stand before God, and one day all of us will, God is going to ask us one question. Did you know that? A one-question test when you get to heaven. It's the only one found there in Matthew 25. God's going to look you in the face and ask this question. What did you do for the least of my brothers? Because I will tell you right now, whatever you did for them, that is what you did for me. What will we say? Church today, I wanna challenge you, give you a great opportunity. Um, today I have brought with me uh, a, a stack. Some of you uh, that are here in person saw them on the table when they came in. Those of you that are online watching this, um, I have been tasked with helping a couple hundred children before the end of the year. Um, these children are living in extreme poverty like I described before. And you can sponsor them. And what that means is that that child will get an education, learn a vocational skill, have food and clean water every day. If they need an inhaler, they're gonna have it. If they need aspirins, if they need to go to the dentist, you are giving them a life. Plus, you can write your child letters back and forth. You can send them a New Testament. You can send them your testimony, your favorite scriptures and speak truth into their life and say, you matter to God. He has a plan for your life, one to prosper you, not to harm you. 
wanting to give you a hope and a future. That's what his word says. And so today, if you're at home watching, I would love to, to, to hook you up with a, a young boy or young girl in, in, in the country, really, of your choice, age of your choice. If you want to sponsor a five-year-old little girl from South America or from Africa, we can make that happen. So if you're watching at home, I want to give you a number. It's a cell number. The number is 615-330-2994. Again, that is area code 615-330-2994. Let me tell you about that number. That is my personal phone number. That's the number that my kids call me, my wife calls me on. And today you can text me at that number or even call me after services and say, Tony, I want to help sponsor one of these kiddos. Now, what does that mean? Well, all that stuff we talked about, you can provide that with just over a dollar a day. You heard that correctly, just over a dollar a day. Dollar and eight cents, that's a small Coke at McDonald's. That's a small coffee. For those of you that, that get your drinks at Starbucks, you could probably help 10 of these kids. It's not a whole lot to give up. For the life and possible salvation of a child, it's a no-brainer. And so today through the Child Fund, I wanna ask you, uh, contact me again, 615-330-2994, and we'll help you sponsor a child and make a, an eternal difference in the life of a young person who so desperately needs it. I also want to challenge you, if you're at home today, in two other ways, there are opportunities at the church. Uh, if you can pray with somebody, if you can hold a baby, if you can play a cowbell, you can be in our worship team. There's so many things that, that you can do to, to serve and, and make a difference here in, in your own community. And so um, as you look around your workplace, your own neighborhood, your schools, there are opportunities for us to serve. And that's the life that Jesus calls us to, one of loving and serving others. And finally, and most importantly, if there's anyone watching this today that's never made Jesus Lord of their life, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Make that decision today. And not only will the people at the church re rejoice and celebrate with you, the very angels in heaven will do the exact same thing. So today, thank you so much for listening to this message. Um, wow, I, this is not a sermon or a sales pitch or something like that to me. It's the outpouring of my life. I used to wonder when God started writing my story 50 years ago, why did it start the way that it did? And then he dumped me in a field in Ethiopia and I saw a bunch of orphans playing football and I knew right then and there, if I had been born there and instead of here, I would have been in need of sponsorship myself. So today, again, 615-330-2994. Text me or call me, and we'll get you hooked up with a, a real child that you can make a difference in. Come down to the church, talk to leadership, and say, hey, I want to be more involved. And finally, the invitation is always open to come to Jesus. Lay your burdens at his feet because he cares for you. We're going to pray. And, and then we're going to continue on in our service. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. Lord, the old hymn says, count your blessings, name them one by one. If we did that today and we were being honest, we would be here till a week from next Thursday and we would still forget all kinds of stuff. You are so good. Lord, I pray for this church. I pray for the people listening to this sermon this morning. That Father, you will move in their hearts that maybe they'll say, you know what? I can give up a, a soda each day so that a child can have a life, so that a child can know the love of Jesus. I, I can go down to the church and, 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 and I can offer myself and I can offer my resources and, and my talents and my time and I can help somebody else. I can go down the street to my neighbor. I know that guy down there has been struggling. 
I can go down there and be the hands and feet of Jesus. Lord, I pray that you will move in the hearts of the people listening to this sermon. And again, if there's anyone listening that's never made Jesus Lord of their life, I pray that they will come to the light, that they will come to know your son in a way that, Father, uh, causes change in their life and causes them because of the great love and great mercy that you have shown for them to want to show that same love and mercy to this world that desperately needs it. Father, we love you and we thank you for all things in the blessed name of Christ Jesus. Amen. I believe that Jesus is worth living for because he believed that I was worth dying for.